So I, I guess it was because uh, my, my oldest son was going to be starting kindergarten this, this past week. Um, I found myself uh, paying closer attention to, to my boys as they, as they played, like trying to, trying to savor it and, and them a little bit. And it hit me. Kids are so creative. Kids are incredibly creative. Whether it's the things that they choose to play with, like Play-Doh or Legos or Tinker Toys or action figures or, or, or Barbies or, or the role-playing, they assume, you know, dressing up as a particular character or designing a made-up game to play or even the ingenious ways that they find to destroy something in the house, right? Kids are so creative. God must have made us that way. I think about people who say, for whatever reason, I just don't have a creative bone in my body. Maybe you've said that before. Well, with all due respect and reality, that is just not true. That's just not true. Sure, we're not all Elon Musk or Martha Stewart or Joanna Gaines or Beyonce, but every single person, by virtue of being made in the image of God, is full of creative bones. The problem is, is not that we are not creative beings. The problem is that we don't always have the margin. We don't always find the margin for that creativity. Perhaps it's feel a fear of failure or rejection. Perhaps it's comfort or familiarity, um, unwillingness to change, the pressures of life that sometimes force us to just to maintain uh, instead of innovate. The truth is, a margin for creativity, tapping into our imagination, is vital for living as a follower of, of Jesus in a world of challenges and change and opportunities. And when we have that margin, we tap into the very essence of our humanity, the very essence of God's divinity, and engage more fully in God's mission. Let's pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray, even as we talk about creativity uh, this Sunday, you might do a new creative work in and through us, through your word, that we might grow as your followers, but it might bear fruit for you and your kingdom. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. Listen now for God's word. One day when Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and legal experts were sitting nearby. They had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Now the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. Some men were bringing a man who was paralyzed, lying on a cot. They wanted to carry him in and place him before Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they took him up on the roof and lowered him, caught and all, through the roof tiles into the crowded room in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The legal experts and the Pharisees began to, to mutter among themselves, who's this that insults God? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus recognized what they were discussing and responded, why do you fill your minds with these questions? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But so that you will know that the human one has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus now spoke to the man who was paralyzed. I say to you, get up, take your cot, and go home. 
Right away, the man stood before them, picked up his cot, and went home praising God. All the people were beside themselves with wonder. Filled with awe, they glorified God, saying, We've seen unimaginable things today. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. What an incredible scene it must have been, right? Jesus is at his home base in Capernaum in in a house. A crowd is gathered there to hear him teach and preach. Many in the crowd are Pharisees, those religious experts in the law and the tradition. Perhaps they've gathered there to try to learn more about Jesus, figure out who exactly he is. Maybe, Maybe they're there to try to catch him in saying something controversial. We're not sure. But the crowds have been building for Jesus in Luke chapter 5. Each crowd seems to be a little bit bigger. And this particular crowd is so big that it's overflowing the house where Jesus is. All of a sudden, some men show up with a paralyzed guy on a mat. Somehow they had heard that Jesus was going to be there, heard that this Jesus was doing all kinds of new things like curing diseases and casting out demons and, and healing people. They want desperately to get into that house to be able to lay their friend before Jesus, but they can't because of the crowd. I can imagine them like poking and and prodding and trying to wedge their way through a gap with no success. Maybe some even the crowd, some people in the crowd turn turn back with with a funny look and shake their heads as if to say, I've been... I've been waiting here for hours. You're not getting in before me. Thanks be to God, though, that these friends are scrappy and imaginative, right? Scrappy and imaginative. They had a margin for creativity. And so in this moment, the problem before them is no match for their faith working itself out through ingenuity. Their faith working itself out through ingenuity, not fearing failure, not succumbing to inside-the-box thinking, these men look at each other and they have a conversation. Well, Scripture doesn't say they have a conversation, but this is what I imagine it might have sounded like, right? And looking at each other and then one saying, hey, what if, we, what if we climbed onto the roof? What good will that do? Jesus is not on the roof. Yeah, I know, I know, but, but what if we took the roof off? What? You can't remove a roof. That's just not what people do. Well, I mean, should we just wait in line with the crowd? I mean, maybe Jesus will eventually get to us. No, there's no better option. We've got to get our friend to Jesus, and and the roof is the only way. Okay, it's crazy. Let's let's do it. So up they go onto the roof, which in a Palestinian home was essentially like a mud deck. I mean, it was functional. People would uh, do stuff on on top. Uh, And so it was sturdy enough to walk on, and then... And they start to dig. They start to dig through this roof. Can you imagine if you were inside that house listening to Jesus and all of a sudden you start hearing footsteps above you. There's a little dust that starts to, to fall and then that dust turns into to, to dirt pouring down from the roof of the house like to the point that Jesus is, is like dodging it as he's trying to teach. The owner of the house is like, what are you doing to my roof? A hole appears and in through the hole comes a mat with a paralyzed man on it until it it nestles gently at Jesus' feet. And there's Jesus. Jesus looks up to these friends. They're peering down through the hole. They're probably breathless, right, from the the labor-intensive work of digging through the roof, breathless because they're, like, wanting to see what Jesus is going to do. Jesus sees their faith and says, Friend, 
your sins are forgiven. Hmm. Think about that. How did Jesus see their faith? Through their creativity. Through their creativity. Through the imaginative action they undertook. If it were not for the ingenuity, for the creative margin of the men who, who dug through the roof and lowered the man into Jesus' presence, this paralyzed outcast would have remained just that, unable to move and unable to belong. Jesus attributes this healing to their faith as evidenced by their creativity. Faith wants to be creative. Because its object is a creator God. Faith wants to be creative because its object is a creator God. If you think about it, like of course there should be a, a deep connection between our faith, our, our humanity, and our creativity. God is fundamentally a creative God. It's literally how we're introduced to God in the very first pages of Scripture. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, right? That's how the story begins. God as creator, speaking amazing things into existence. I mean, hippos? Just look at the natural world around us. And then, and then God creates us in God's image to be co-creators with God. As image bearers, then, we bear God's creativity. The rest of the story is about God creatively working out the rescue and redemption of the whole world. God's always doing a new thing. Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I'm about to do a new thing. Look, it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? The ministry of Jesus? Creative. The resurrection of Jesus? Creative. The sending of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church? Creative. God enlisting human beings in God's mission? Creative. God's ultimate plan to bring the life of heaven to earth, creative. Jesus in Revelation, right? Behold, I'm making all things new. Friends, this is no understatement. If we really think about it, followers of Jesus should be among the most creative people on the planet. And when we have a margin for creativity, we are deeply in tune with what it means to be human, <laughs> what it means to be an image bearer, and what it means to connect with and worship a creator God. A margin for creativity is nothing less than, than worship. Our creativity is worship of a creator God. And these men, these friends are tapping into that. Not only are they creatively open to the movement of God being launched in their midst. I mean, this Jesus guy was doing all kinds of new stuff that wasn't normally done. They've seen and they've heard that, that he can do something new for their friend. They're, but they're also capable in a moment of challenge not to become stuck, stagnant, or dismayed, but to be creative. Their minds have the imaginative space to, to do so. They aren't overcome with fear of failure. You know, what, if, what if we can't dig a hole through? What if we can't dig through the roof? What if the mat crashes down? What if this doesn't work? They're not Occupied with thoughts of rejection? What if the homeowner railroads us out of, out of Capernaum? What if our friends get mad at us for skipping the line? What if Jesus gets mad because he doesn't like to be interrupted when he's teaching? Nor are they stuck in the rut of, well, we've never done anything like this before. 
People, people, you know, people just usually bring the sick through the door to Jesus. I don't know. They could have become just as stuck as the man on the mat. But they didn't. The truth is, when we don't have a margin for creativity, we can become more paralyzed and stuck than the man lying on the mat. Challenges in our families, in our jobs, in our church, in our community become insurmountable obstacles to, and not opportunities for innovation. When we find ourselves in situations like, like these friends, often where we, we know what we want to happen, but there's some kind of barrier or, or challenge in the way, we don't allow ourselves to think about the possibility of climbing onto the roof, whatever that might be. Maybe we're uncomfortable with change. Uh, maybe we don't want discomfort. Maybe we're not open to, to new experiences and new ideas. Maybe we're overly nostalgic. Maybe we're afraid of rejection or failure. All of these things intrude upon our creative margin. And there's such a stark contrast here in this story between the faithful creative margin of the men who dug a hole in the roof and the Pharisees. Notice what happens when Jesus says to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. They start muttering to themselves. It was like the Pharisees' favorite thing to do, apparently. They start muttering to themselves, who does, who does he think this guy think he is? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, why do you fill your mind with these kinds of questions? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and walk? Which I think is Jesus' way of saying, wait, so you can conceive of someone having the authority from God to heal a paralyzed man, but not to forgive him of his sin? Because the Pharisees are so preoccupied in their minds with every single minute detail of the law, because they're so preoccupied in their minds with maintaining their power and control and influence, because they're so closed off to new ideas and experiences, they don't have the imaginative capacity to notice that maybe Jesus is in fact God and that God is doing a new thing right in front of their faces. They have no creative margin. And the tragedy is... They're therefore missing what God is up to. They're missing what God is up to. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. It springs forth. Do you not perceive it? And the Pharisees, with no creative margin, essentially answer, no. The men who had a margin for creativity in their minds and figured out a way to get their friend to Jesus, answer, yes. What about us? What about us? When we have a margin, a space for creativity because of our faith in God, we ensure that we do not miss the new things that God is always doing. This can be so hard because we get so set in our ways and so set in our thinking. We do things a certain way. We think a certain way because we've always done it this way. We've always thought this way. The problem is, we start to dig ourselves into an uncreative hole where we can't see out the top to see what God is doing. We're bunkered down. We don't want to change. But, but having that creative margin is the difference between experiencing something new and life-giving from God and slowly decaying, fading, becoming stagnant in our faith, in our life, in our work, in our home. But it's also, it's also the difference between being fully engaged in God's mission 
in the great commission and great commandment or not. Just like the crowds posed a problem or, or a barrier uh, between someone experiencing the life and love of God and God's kingdom advancing, there are all kinds of challenges and barriers even now when it comes to making disciples, when it comes to loving our neighbors and ensuring that all people everywhere experience the kind of life that God intends. We've got to have a creativity rooted in faith that sees the power and promise of Christ as bigger than the challenges that surround us. One that says, hey, what, what about this? Have we thought about this before? Have we tried this? Just like the story in Luke, us, you, and I, having a creative margin might make the difference between someone experiencing a relationship with Jesus or not. It might make the difference between someone finally experiencing justice or not. It might make the difference between people lifted out of poverty or not. It might make the difference between someone finding a place to belong or not. It might create the possibility, the breakthrough, the opportunity for healing, reconciliation, economic vitality, neighborhood vitality, church vitality, salvation. So, don't you dare say that you have no creative bone in your body. You and I, we're full of them. We just need to find a margin for that creativity in our lives and in our minds. Like other margins, this is less about adding something and more about being intentional about activating a part of us that lies dormant too often. Think of it as nothing less than an expression of our worship of a creator God. I don't imagine these friends of the paralyzed man thought that they'd be doing roof work that day. Maybe they didn't even think of themselves as the creative type. But in reality, and I apologize in advance for this, their creativity was, wait for it, through the roof. <laughs> Literally, their creativity was through the roof. They allowed their faith to work itself out in creative ways without allowing a lack of openness, uh, a fear, uh, or any other barrier encroach on that creative margin. Our life, our vocation in the world, as disciples of Jesus Christ, requires daily acts of ingenuity and, and novel workarounds and ideas now more than ever. A creativity through the roof, friends. So I pray that, that you and I would be open to, to new ideas and experiences. We wouldn't be, that we wouldn't be distracted by fear of failure or rejection. That we would allow our faith to work itself out in one of the ways it so desperately wants to. Through creativity. Who knows? Because of it, maybe you or I or, or someone else will have the same reaction as the crowds in the story. Filled with awe, glorifying God, saying, oh, we've seen unimaginable things today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.